0: morning again. Uh, our guest preacher this morning is a brother named Thomas Terry. Uh, I first heard of Thomas in my past life, which I'm ashamed to admit to you was as a Christian rapper. You can Google it. It'll be fun. Send me your screenshots, your funny comments. But I, I, I only ever saw Thomas at a distance because he was actually a successful part of that ministry. Me, not so much. Um. Uh, but the cool thing about what I saw with Thomas at a distance was that he was growing in his faithfulness to Jesus as he continued to prosper as a Christian artist. Now, if you know anything about Christian music, you know that that's kind of the opposite of what happens as Christian artists, particularly Christian musicians, as they begin to gain more notoriety, fame, prestige, success in the world, through even in the church, through their artistic ministry, they often begin to walk away from Jesus, need I begin to list out all of the people that you can probably think of who have done that, and so I was always intrigued by Thomas, uh, and even their model of ministry, they had a Christian record label where they gave away all of their albums because they said, in the gospel, we have freely received from the Lord, therefore we will freely give the fruits of our labor, that's pretty incredible. And then I didn't really see anything of Thomas for a long time. I, uh, I was on the mission field, and um, then I came back, and pastoring And uh, pastoring kind of consumes everything. You just don't really have time to focus on a lot of other things. I got a d- church family, right, the Lord, that's it. But I was at a pastor's gathering where I, I saw Thomas there, and I heard his story of how he uh, basically stepped aside from music ministry, to serve his local church as a pastor after the church very much needed him. Uh, And I just thought, you know, that's exactly the kind of guy that I want to build with. That's the kind of guy I want to have a ministry partnership with. And so I benefited a lot from Thomas at a distance. He's written books on Christianity and the arts that you can check out online. Uh, Benefited from his music, but I think uh, what we can all benefit uh, from most this morning in Thomas's ministry is the way that he submits himself in all things to the word of the Lord. And so as he comes up to lead us, uh, I pray that you will imitate him in that even as we try to follow Jesus together. Come on up, brother, and take the wheel.
1: Well, good morning, family. It's good to be here with you. I'm from Portland, Oregon, where it's always raining, and so the fact that I have some sun here today is quite amazing. Uh, It is always a privilege to come and be with God's people from across the country uh, in different contexts, different geographical landscapes, uh, but to come together around one word breathed out by the one true God. It's the one thing that unifies us as a body, and so... It's a great encouragement for me to be here with you, and I do hope that my uh, preaching will be a great encouragement to you this morning, because that's why I've come, to be a blessing and encouragement to you as you persevere and grow in the faith, okay? Amen? Amen? Amen. So if you would be so kind as to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 4, and we'll be reading from verse 35 to verse 41. So I'll read our text this morning, I'll pray, and then, and then we'll dive in, okay? On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Family, this is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank you for your word. And we recognize that in order for us to see anything of spiritual significance for us to comprehend anything of value spiritually, we must be helped by the Holy Spirit. And so we pray even now that you would give us the help that we need. We are desperate. We posture ourselves in deep dependence as you open up your word to us. Father, we pray that as your word is preached that you would change us Convict us and conform us into the image of Jesus. The one who is so powerful that he speaks winds and waves into submission. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you were raised in a Christian home or you've been around Christian culture long enough, then the odds are you've probably heard this story at least a thousand times. Maybe you've seen this story in a children's book illustrating the the craziness of the storm as Jesus yells out to the sea, be quiet, and the sea is silenced. Maybe you've seen a painting of Jesus where he stands on the edge of the boat with his disciples, with his hands lifted high in the air towards the winds and the waves, giving you this vivid picture of the power of Jesus. As he slays the storms with his speech. It's not only a very popular passage. It's also very popular imagery. The image of God powerfully commanding the storm into submission with mere words is exceedingly powerful. Well, Having been a Christian for over 20 years. I have heard on many occasions pastors preach this particular passage with a very specific angle. And that angle is this. That God is powerful enough to speak directly into the storms of your life. That he is powerful enough to bring peace and immediate relief when the storms of life seem overwhelming and life-threatening. At some point in the sermon, just before the close, the preacher typically asks this question that everyone knows is coming. What are the waves in your life? That God needs to immediately still? What are the unique storms in your personal life that God needs to silence? And while it is true that God is sovereign over those storms and the difficult circumstances of your life, that's not entirely what this passage is about, friends. In fact, this passage has less to do with the personal storms of your life and more to do with fear, identity, and proximity. So it has to do with fear, but not the fear of man, not the fear of natural disasters or the fear of creation, but a healthy fear of God, the sovereign king of creation who exercises divine authority over man, over natural disasters, and over creation itself. This passage has also to do with the identity of Jesus. In fact, it's made completely clear at the end of the verse when the disciples, after witnessing this divine exercise uh, over nature, fearfully ask this rhetorical question, Who is this man? And the reason why they ask this question is because at this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus' identity has been somewhat veiled. Though some know that he is the Messiah, they're not quite confident in what that means in its entirety. Some thought that he was a gifted teacher and an authoritative rabbi. Some thought that he was merely a miracle worker who heals and casts out demons on demand. The scribes, well, they think Jesus is possessed by Satan. His families think he's crazy. It seems that only the demons get his identity right, but Jesus quickly shuts them up so as to not reveal his identity prematurely. But it's here in our passage this morning where Jesus, alone with his disciples, in a boat, in the middle of a stormy sea, unveils a bit more of his identity. But not by way of casual conversation. And not by way of, you know, some theological discussion on Jesus' identity, but by way of powerful demonstration with this nature-bending display of power that speaks louder than words could ever communicate. He puts his identity powerfully on display for his disciples to understand the magnitude of his identity. Jesus, throughout his gospel narrative, has been teaching his disciples, as he'll teach us this morning, something so much more profound and powerful than just peace in the midst of difficulties and my hope for us this morning as we engage with this text is that we would find comfort when we look at our personal storms in our lives but more importantly that we would see the greatness and power of Jesus that we would see how all creation friends is subject to him and his will and that Jesus cares and that he's close when storms come And that when we go through these storms, that we don't simply desire immediate relief, though that's what we all want. But most importantly, that we would develop deeper trust and a more robust faith. Because that, friends, is what gives us true peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. Not immediate relief, but profound understanding that God is sovereign over everyone and everything. That God is sometimes the stiller of the storm, but he's sometimes the sender of the storm. But either way, he is with us in the storm, teaching us, discipling us, molding us, and making us better through whatever storms come our way, okay? And so if you are the note-taking type to help us along, I've broken up our text into like five scenes, okay? So... In verse 35, we'll look at the crowd and crossing. In verse 37, we'll look at the wind and waves. Verse 38, the rest and rebuke. Verse 39, the sovereignty and submission. And then finally in verse 40, the fear and faith. Okay? So let's begin by setting some context in in verse 35 with the crowd and crossing. On that day when evening had come, he said to them... Let us go across to the other side, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. Now, just to settle into where we are in Mark's gospel, just before this particular scene, Jesus was sitting in a boat at the shore, preaching to a massive crowd. And this boat, which is fascinating when you really dive into Mark's gospel, it's kind of a multi-purpose utility here, This boat in this particular scene served uh, as both a pulpit and a barricade from the large crowd. And Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of God, but he was preaching in parables. Now just to briefly draw your attention back to two of the parables that he had been preaching, because I I, I think that these parables are relevant to our passage this morning. One of those parables that he was preaching on was the parable of the sower, the seed in the the soil. Some people call it differently. Uh, a different parable, but that's what it is. Jesus taught that the, the seed represents the, the Word of God, and when it's sown on good soil, the Word powerfully grows a fruitful harvest. You remember that parable? Now, the second parable I want to draw your attention to is the parable of the grower, in which Jesus taught that when the seed, the, the Word of God, is sown on good soil, God, who is the grower, is the one responsible to supernaturally and powerfully grow his word in the life of a hearer, causing spiritual maturity. Okay, So, so both these parables that, that Jesus had just preached on the shoreline in many ways center on the power of God's word. When it's spoken, it has the ability to supernaturally and powerfully affect change. And as we'll see in in, in the text this morning, the power of his word is not limited to sowing or growing, but that God's word is more powerful than we could comprehend or imagine. And so Jesus, after a long day of preaching, obviously decided to call it a day. And so Jesus says to his disciples, listen, let's go to the other side of the sea. He did this partly because he was exhausted, exhausted. which we can see clearly in the next verse, but, but also because Jesus was keeping in step with his mission statement, which we find also in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 1, verse 38, when he said to his disciples, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. See, Jesus was in the business of preaching. Despite what most people think about Jesus, his ministry was preoccupied with preaching. So while he's sitting in the boat, just as he was, Jesus instructs his disciples not to go back to the shore where the crowd was, but to simply shift the boat towards the other towns on the other side of the sea so that he could preach there also. So Jesus and his twelve, well, they leave the the massive crowd, which is a bit kind of unorthodox in our culture, to to leave a, a crowd of people wanting to hear him preach to go to the opposite side of the sea, along with a few other boats that were filled with the other followers of Jesus. Which brings us to the next verse 37 with the scene, the wind and the waves. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. So Jesus, completely exhausted from a full day of preaching, heads back, to the back of the boat with some sort of pillow or, or cushion. We don't know exactly what it, what it is. The text doesn't tell us. But whatever it was, it was comfortable enough and Jesus was tired enough to fall into a deep sleep. And this is, friends, the first time we hear in the whole New Testament about Jesus explicitly sleeping. And this, is, by the way, is not an insignificant detail. Every detail in Scripture and, and, and I would say Mark's gospel is intended to draw your attention to something specific. And I think here what Mark wants to reveal in his creative writing with this emphasis on sleeping. Is Mark is setting up this juxtaposition between the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus. Jesus in his humanity experienced the the same tiredness that we would feel if we were teaching or loudly preaching to a massive crowd. I mean, imagine the the physical strain of having to project your voice over the noise of of a massive crowd with no amplification while the, the waves were breaking on the shore and doing that for hours. That would be exhausting physically fatiguing. I mean, I get exhausted on a Sunday morning just preaching for 45 minutes. And so Jesus must have been extremely exhausted. Jesus was fully human, so he was fully capable and and susceptible to all the tiredness that comes with being human. And so while Jesus is fast asleep in the back of the boat, because he's exhausted, in the middle of the sea there's a sudden and Severe shift in the weather. And this, friends, would not be uncommon on the Sea of Galilee, given the size and location of this sea. The Sea of Galilee is roughly 13 miles wide and 7 miles long, okay? So surrounded by mountains and hills and cliffs. And so as the cold wind shoots down from the mountains and the hills... It kind of collides with the warm air just above the basin of the sea. And this collision of hot and cold air creates raging winds and massive waves, which would make for a pretty violent storm. Okay? When these types of storms hit, they could be a bit dangerous. But rarely are, are, are the case, is it the case that a storm would be life-threatening. Okay? It would be violent, but not life-threatening. Now, you have to remember, when you think about this scene, that there were fishermen on the boat. And we know for sure that there were four. Uh, possibly seven of the disciples were fishermen. But in total, you, you, know, you had a, a few. Okay, These men, these fishermen, would have been familiar with these types of turns in the weather. They would have weathered these storms before. But this storm, this particular storm, is different from what was typical. And you know it's a different kind of storm because the storm caused for even the professional fishermen to panic. Think of when you and I travel today on a plane. Imagine cruising along at 30,000 feet when some mild turbulence hits in. Starts off a bit shaky, Nothing too out-of-pocket or out-of-ordinary, but suddenly the turbulence begins to hit harder. And with each hit, there's a little bit more force and jolt. The turbulence becomes more and more aggressive, causing these sudden lifts and drops in altitude. The cabin gets real quiet real quick. Except for the short gasps and shrills that synchronize with every jerk and jolt of the plane, As the turbulence moves from mild to extreme, everyone in the plane is clutching their armrests. They're just waiting for the captain to explain over the loudspeaker. Ladies and gentlemen, we're dealing with a little bit of turbulence. Nothing to worry about. We're going to descend a few hundred feet, find some smoother air. Once we lock into better altitude, our ride would be a whole lot smoother, smoother. We should be fine in just a few minutes. So you're still a little anxious, but because the pilot just assured you that everything's going to be okay, there's nothing really to worry about, you're okay. I mean, after all, these are the professionals. If the pilot has experienced this kind of turbulence before and he's okay with it, then we're good. But imagine the level of panic we would experience if the captain of the plane started panicking. He expressed over the loudspeaker in this shaky voice, you know, I've never seen this kind of turbulence before. I don't know if we're going to make it. (laughs) We would freak out. Because if the pilots are panicking, then you know it's all bad. If the professionals are freaking out, you know it's a really bad situation. Well, that's exactly what was happening here. The intensity of this storm had caused even the professional fishermen to freak out. And this quickly sobered the disciples, not just to the severity of the storm, but to their human frailty. To their mortality. And it's here in the second half of verse 38 where we see this rest and rebuke. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? Now, notice how the disciples respond to Jesus. They were so overwhelmed by fear that they actually rebuke him. Okay, this is actually a rebuke happening here. The disciples have the audacity to rebuke Jesus. They are in complete panic mode, fearing for their lives while Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And so they ask, how could you be sleeping right now? Do not the violent winds and the crashing waves mean anything? You see, that the fear, humanly speaking, was not really the issue. The disciples fearing for their lives and, and waking up Jesus for help would be normal. It's what they were saying and thinking as they woke up Jesus that's the problem. They began to question if Jesus cares for them they immediately begin to question everything they thought they knew about him. Jesus, where where are you? How could you let this happen? Why are you not doing anything to help us? Do you even care what we are going through? You see, their fear exposed hidden things about them. Brothers and sisters, fear is often the great revealer of what the heart truly believes about God. I know this to be true even in my own life. When scary, disastrous, life-threatening circumstances come our way, how do we respond? How do you respond? The fear of losing your job? The fear of Losing our health? The fear of losing your life savings? The fear of losing a child? Or a wife? How do we respond to those fears? You know, counselors often say that that fear produces a fight or flight mentality. But Christians, when it comes to our way of thinking our worldview when we faced when we face fear it should produce a faith mentality when we're confronted with fear do do we fight god do we run from god or do we have faith that god is ultimately in control so how does fear play itself out with you do you have faith that that god cares That he's intimately involved in your fearful affairs? This was hard for the disciples to comprehend in the midst of this violent storm. And it's exceedingly hard for us when we're faced with fearful situations. Now, notice what the disciples say to Jesus. They say, teacher, do you not care that we are dying here? So essentially they're saying, wake up Jesus, do something. You did all these things for other people. You cast out all kinds of demons. You healed people you barely knew. All kinds of people in the crowd where we just were, they they came to you. You didn't even know them and you demonstrated your care and compassion on them. We're your disciples. We're your insiders. And you don't even care that we're dying here. We're about to drown. And you're in the back of the boat. Asleep. You see, this revealed so many things about the disciples. In their fear, listen, they downgraded Jesus to a simple teacher. Their fear also revealed that they were not that different from other people in the crowd who only came to Jesus for immediate deliverance and relief from their suffering. Instead of simply asking Jesus to help miraculously deliver them. They accuse him of being distant, uninvolved, and unconcerned about their well-being. Do you even care? Now, why would they ask this question? Of course Jesus cares about them. You see, this reveals that the disciples had yet to fully understand who Jesus actually is And what Jesus has actually come to do. Because if they knew. Then they would know that Jesus cares so deeply for them. That he would lay his life down for them. And friends isn't this often how we behave. When we're going through difficult situations. When we are overcome with fear. The first thing we do. Is we forget that Jesus actually cares. In fact, oftentimes we attribute the difficult circumstances as evidence that God is distant when in fact he's using the difficult circumstances to show us that he is near and that he is close. He uses difficult circumstances to cause us to draw near to him as he draws near to us. Of course Jesus cares for us. He cares so deeply that he took on all of our sin and all of our guilt, all of the punishment that we deserve so that we could be brought back into this close relationship with God. Listen, if Jesus cares enough to die for you, why would he not care about your difficult circumstances? He always cares. He's always close, no matter how difficult the circumstances might be. And not only does he care and not only is he always close, but he is sovereign over the situation. And we see that in verse 39 with the sovereignty and submission. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. See, after the fearful disciples wake Jesus up from his deep sleep, Jesus rebukes the wind and stills the violent sea with only his words. And it's here where Mark fully juxtaposes the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus. Jesus, weakened with a parched voice due to prolonged and persistent preaching, revealed the limitations of his humanity by sleeping in the boat. However, his divine voice bends the laws of physics as he sovereignly speaks the storm into submission, exercising his divine authority over the creation order. In this scene, you see that he is fully man and that he is fully God. There is one important detail that I don't want you to miss. Notice that that Jesus rebuked the wind and spoke to the sea in two separate commands. Yet both synchronize in their submission. This demonstrates, friends, the magnitude of God's powerful words. It wasn't that that Jesus just spoke and the, the winds kind of slowly subsided and the waves eventually leveled out. No, Jesus speaks and both the winds and the waves immediately obey. Creation hears the voice of its creator and immediately complies. William Hendrickson captures this beautifully when he says this. He says, The winds and waves synchronize in a sublime symphony of a solemn silence. He captures the instantaneous nature of the calming of the sea. You see, the sudden response of the wind is powerful but could be reasoned away right but to immediately still the sea well that's considerably greater in terms of a miracle because of the way water moves the waves would Humanly speaking, naturally speaking, would need time to settle to a calm, but they both submit in an instant, demonstrating God's cosmic power. And after Jesus powerfully rebukes the winds and authoritatively speaks to the waves, he turns to his disciples to mildly rebuke their faith, but also to lovingly address their lack of faith. And we see this in verse 40 and 41 with the fear and faith. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus asks his disciples this rhetorical question Really, it's two rhetorical questions, one about fear and one about faith. And he asks these questions because, really, they go hand in hand. The disciples were full of fear because there was a lack of faith. They didn't trust that God cared or that he was in control. Jesus is saying to his disciples, and I I would submit that he's saying to us this morning, that we need to have fearless faith if we intend to be effective followers of Jesus. We need to be fearless when the difficult circumstances of life come at us. In fact, it's in these moments when we experience fear that our faith should be most activated. You see, fear reveals that we are not in control. But faith is trusting that God is in control. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, Do you still not trust me? You can imagine what Jesus was thinking in his mind. Have you not seen everything that I've done? Have you not heard everything that I've said? Why are you letting fear control what you know to be true about me? And here's what's crazy. These disciples wanted a supernatural intervention from God because they were terrified. In fact, that's what they were crying out for. And that makes sense. But when God does supernaturally intervene by forcing the storm into submission, they become even more terrified. You see, they wanted God to help them while they were in the boat in the middle of the storm, but the kind of help they anticipated was not literally God sitting next to them in the boat. These disciples, when confronted with the divine authority of Jesus over the natural elements of our world, respond in the only reasonable way, a healthy fear. When confronted with the divine power of God that places winds and waves into submission, the only reasonable question to ask is, who is this man? And of course, the only reasonable answer is God. The God who spoke creation into existence is the same God who spoke creation into submission. Proving that Jesus is not only equal with God, but that he is God, the creator and sustainer of creation. John 1, 1 and 3, we read this this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus spoke the words, Peace, be still. And creation recognized the voice of its creator and immediately obeyed. The disciples, still settling from the shock of what they just witnessed, had great fear. Now, listen. This means that their fear was greater than what they had previously feared. Okay? They were fearful because of this raging, life-threatening storm. But what would be more fearful than a life-threatening storm? Sitting in a boat next to God. Who sovereignly controls the raging life-threatening storm with words. They were exceedingly fearful because they began to recognize the identity of Jesus. They began to see Jesus for who he actually is, that he is God, and that God was with them in the boat. It's important to note that the disciples were Jews. Well versed in the Old Testament scriptures, particularly Psalm 107, which they probably heard many times in the synagogue. Psalm 107, verses 23 through 30 says, Some went down, and we read this this morning too, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Not only did these disciples witness the power of God's word bending nature to control the raging of the storm, but they also witnessed the transcendent power of God bending space and time. You see, what was written in the Old Testament long ago was manifested in the disciples' present reality. God's powerful Words prophesied hundreds of years ago about this specific day with these specific disciples in this specific storm. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's power. God was truly with them in the storm. God heard their cry and delivered them. And this created a healthy fear of God. And friends, this should create a healthy fear of God in us. Not a fear that pushes us away from God, but a healthy fear that causes us to draw near to God. And this is precisely what this text means for us this morning. That yes, God is great, God is powerful, God is majestic, He's sovereign over creation, but God is personal, He's intimate and close. When we are going through storms. He is the God who is near. Friends. That is an exceedingly. Great. Comfort for us. God is more powerful than you could ever imagine. And he is closer than you can comprehend. He is the sovereign king of creation. Who exercises divine authority. Over the storm. By the power of his words but he's also with us in the midst of powerful storms. Listen, if you have faith in him, if you trust in him as the sovereign king of creation, then when the storm comes, you have nothing to fear because you are his and because you are saved. Which means, friends, listen to me, that even if you succumb to the storm, What's the worst that can happen in the midst of the storm? Think about that. And then let the truth reign over you. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Because you've already been rescued from death to life. 1 Corinthians 15 says, O death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has defeated death, so we have no need to fear any of life's storms. Listen, there are many things in our life and in our world that are broken. There are so many things wrong with our world. This world is full of evil people who do unimaginable, hurtful, and painful things. And I know that many of you this morning, as, as the word is being preached to you, are thinking to yourself, well, yeah, I understand all that, but where was God when I needed him the most? When all of these evil things happened to me, Where was God when I needed help in my difficult storm? In your fear and in your desperation, you've cried out, where are you, Jesus? If you are all-powerful, then where were you when I was going through those dark days? Friends, I have asked that question a thousand times in my life. This is what I know to be true of God. That God was not responsible for the evil things that happened to you. And just because He didn't immediately deliver you from those dark and fearful circumstances doesn't mean that He wasn't close or that He didn't care. In fact, in my own life, in some mysterious way, on this side of the dark providences, of the dark circumstances, I have seen that God was close and that he remained close and that he was drawing me closer to him. There was no one else I could turn to to help me. There was no one else that would offer any comfort. The more I fought God for allowing those things to happen in my life, the more God made himself known to me. Brothers and sisters, this is what he does to his children. He cares, and he's close. Sometimes, friends, he stills the storm. But most of the time, he sits with you in the storm. He's already rescued you. He's already rescued you. The very thing that separated you from God... Jesus paid for with his perfect life. That's how much he cared for you. He died for your sin to rescue you from the worst of storms. The raging wrath of God that sits over unbelievers, which is the most terrifying thing you could ever comprehend. God absorbed that wrath on your behalf. He died to make things right, to build a better world to punish all of the evil injustices in this world and to bring us by his blood to a better haven, to a place where those evil things will never happen again. Dear Christian, you need to know that the same God who spoke creation into, into existence that sustains creation by the power of his word is the same God who cares for you and will carry you into a renovated world where all the evils will be eradicated and all of our sin will be pardoned because he brought us near by his blood. And listen, if if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, I just want to say to you that that invitation to have Jesus remove your sin and your guilt, he extends that to you this morning. He can be yours if you would but simply call out to him and embrace him by faith. Believe that he is who he says he is. Son of God, the Lord of all creation. He says, if anyone would come to me, he will not cast out. If you come to him by faith, he will save you. And if you have questions about that, I'm sure anyone in this room who is a Christian would love to talk to you about that. Simply ask them after the service, hey, are you a Christian? And if they say yes, then say, hey, help me to understand what it means to be a Christian And I promise you, they will cancel their plans, and they will sit with you, and they will help you to understand what it means to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, brothers, be encouraged. God is close, and he is in control over everything and everyone. You cannot be shaken from the grip of our sovereign and powerful God. He is yours, and you are his. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word because it testifies to us of your magnificent power, of your identity, that you are powerful to bend nature, that you are powerful to raise dead people to life. And so, Father, we pray that as we leave this morning, that would stir our affection for you that we would see you for who you are, the God of the cosmos, but that we would see you as the God who indwells us, that cares, that is personally involved in the meticulous details of our affairs. And may we rest in that profound truth, even when days look dark, even when days are difficult. We know that you are sovereign and in control. We thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. Amen, church. Let's stand and sing.